Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, where we have folks of all different walks of life share any trials and tribulations. Through the sacred art of conversation and storytelling, we seek to open minds, shed light, and make our modern world feel a little less lonely, realizing that we are all connected, one human experience at a time. I'm your host, Aisha Billy. I'd like to welcome you to the show and thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Experience Podcast. This week, we're talking about one of my favorite human experiences ever. Um, Nancy Newell is going to be diving into her upbringing. So she's one of the most resilient people I have ever met. She's one of like my only pals who I feel like, you know, really understands like what it's like growing up impoverished. And I just feel so lucky to have her for that reason, because, you know, growing up um, very low socioeconomic in the basically the poverty line, it has an effect on you that um, it doesn't have to be bad, right? These things aren't necessarily bad. And I do talk about how these, you know, quote unquote negatives are the biggest propellers to like us leading. A, it can be the biggest propeller to us leading a healthy life. But um, it does leave a scar that I think those of us who have it can recognize it in other people very quickly. And she's someone who I recognize that in very quickly. Um she grew up with parents who had substance issues, were in and out of jail and, you know, a tiny trailer in upstate New York. And I got to watch her in college, like before I really knew her story, um, channel all of that into school and into her fitness journey. She is an elite level powerlifter. Like that's not easy <laughs> to be elite. That is basically as high as it gets and she really is the definition to me of resilience of hard work and of turning a negative into a positive not succumbing to negative outlets which hey we're only human but you know I really saw it in her how she every time I hang out with her and I leave I just I feel inspired to um focus on myself which is great for someone like me because I tend to focus a lot on those around me so anyway Without further ado, I would love to get into her story. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are... Me and Nancy had a night. We had a little night. It was a small night. It was a small night. Are you feeling okay? I'm feeling... I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling okay, too. Like a seven and a half out of ten. I'd be right there. Okay. This coffee is... Helping. It's helping. And then I feel like by the end of the show, maybe we'll be at like a 10 out of 10. Definitely. That's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. All right. So um, Nancy is one of my pals. It's been five years now since we've met, which is so wild to think about. We met in SUNY Cortland. We were both in the fitness development major. Nance was a little bit older than me, so she kind of helped, like, mentor me and stuff like that, helped me out with my internships. I think you even gave me a client, Mary. We fucking love Mary. Shout I out love to Mary. Mary. Is Mary, like, 70 now? She's 75. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, she's amazing, though. She was an English professor yeah. at SUNY Cortland. Mm -hmm. Trained her for quite a long time. She was the best. 
She's the fucking best. She's from Manhattan, right? Yeah, and she took us out to dinner, too. As she like a goodbye did dinner. take us out to dinner. God, fucking Miss Mary. But anyway, yeah. So do you want to introduce yourself, Nance? Tell us, what do you do with your life? All right. Well, my name's Nancy Newell. Um, I, I'm a coach. I feel like when it comes to coaching, I, I, my main primary job is I just coach baseball players anywhere from like the youth level all the way up to like professional guys. Um, currently I work at, you know, RPP where I coach, which is in Paramus, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, normal programming duties, but you know, the X's of O's, X's and O's of just exercise selection, programming, but I feel like, honestly, like, a lot of the coaching that I do is just, like, guiding them and, like, helping young kids find their way and, like, you know, build trust in themselves um, and build consistency, solve their own problems. So it's kind of like life coaching totally. in itself, too, which I feel like is a big portion of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really, really love that component. And then I also work as an event coordinator for the Baseball Education Center. Um, and in that avenue, it's really fun and exciting because I get to set up and organize master classes throughout the week, uh, you know, and, and interview coaches from all over in different sectors, whether that's like college baseball, professional, um, former MLB scouts, players. Um, and it's a really like diverse group of coaches, players, um, and people involved in the baseball world, so. You are in a male-dominated industry, yeah? For sure. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I'd say, like, still, it's, some people I feel like would, would say it's, like, harder for females, you know? I have, it's just something I've always been involved in. Yeah, And I've always done, so I don't really see anything too crazy or Hard. Have you ever had any, like, sexism prevalent to your career? Have you ever had any clients who, like, didn't want to work with you because you were a chick? That's happened once. Okay. Like, that that was one time. Yeah. And they didn't know me at all. They okay. just made that decision based upon my name. Yeah. Like, you know. Which is such trash because I remember, like, when I was more in the industry and I was, like prepping for like my internship and stuff like that you were saying how like you felt like we had to work twice as hard to like get half of what a a guy could get like within the industry which I do think a lot of that has definitely shifted I think when when we got into college which was only like five six seven ish years ago not even yeah when we first started school yeah it's been like seven years and like our undergrad I mean and I think at that time, sexism was even more prevalent, and I feel like there's been a crazy jump within when we got our degree. Like, at that time that we were getting our degree, there were so many chicks, and then, like, I feel like a lot of those girls, like, were doing, like, strength sports, and were just, like, getting on the map, and I feel like that's when a lot of guys, their jaws would just be, like, rubbing on the floor, and they would be like, oh, this is possible? (laughs) And I think that there's been a huge cultural shift, like particularly when we went to school, for sure. Yeah, I think we were lucky in that aspect where, I mean, we had really great facilities. Definitely. We had a crew that would love to lift, like a lot of chicks that would 
train hard. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, like you said about the whole industry kind of like shifting, I, I see that. You do, right? A hundred percent. I see it even in like layman gyms. Like even when I go into like a big box gym, like for example, I, when I first joined a gym, I was 14. I, I joined as soon as I could without a parent because I felt so insecure about my body and I joined LA Fitness and I remember I was one of the only girls in the weight area and I identify with what you said you were kind of like yeah it's never really bothered me it's never really bothered me either like I don't know if it's because I grew up doing karate and I was always around guys and they would just be like get in here and I'd be like okay um but now when I go into a big box gym there's chicks everywhere like, like in the weight area. By everywhere, I don't mean just on the treadmills. That's what it used to be. Treadmills, ellipticals, Stairmaster, that's it. Net bikes, that's it. Now you see them with dumbbells. You see them with barbells. Like, it's, I think it's really dope. I love it. It's, I think uh, when females step into that, that area, or, <clears throat> and they don't have to go full-blown either. I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, like, you can only lift weights. You can't ever do cardio. Yeah, know, like, which is trash as well. Which I'm, you know, I think, uh, you know, seeing people and seeing females in particular, like heading to that part of the gym, seeing results, staying consistent with it, and then starting to like fall in love with their body and like the results that they're getting while still enjoying like other things, I think is phenomenal. Yeah, and that falling in love with their body doesn't even have to be aesthetics. No. It could r- literally be how powerful that person feels when they're doing a deadlift. You yeah. know? Like some some people get stoked about, you know, cutting uh literally 30 seconds off like their 2-mile time. Exactly. Some people get really excited that they're able to do, you know, uh 10 reps versus 8 using some type of like tempo or rep scheme some some people do fall in love with like changes that they see in their body or they're just able to sleep better they're able to see better relationships with their significant other because they're not so stressed like it's just like you can it, it transcends a lot of things just out of the weight room the gym yeah yeah um, can you talk about your passion for baseball and softball? What propelled that? And kind of like, where do you see yourself within that industry? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I'd have to say it, it just started when I was really young. I, when I met my godfather, Wayne, he like really introduced me to baseball. Mm. He gave me my first Yankee hat which I still wear to this, this day. The same exact hat. Oh, my God. It's pretty cool. Your head just never grew. <clears throat> never. It's the same <laughs> size. <laughs> the same size. <laughs> um, yes, and he just, he would play catch with me all the time. He taught me how to throw, like, my first changeup. Two-seam, four-seam fastball. He taught me how to pitch. Played Little League. Um, and then just started studying the game. Um, and then my high school coach, uh, when I played softball, was very impactful mm-hmm. to me. He mm-hmm. he was like a, a father figure, for sure. And just he made me hold myself accountable for certain things, like made sure I, you know, I stayed in shape, was consistent, um, taught me about being a good teammate, a good person, uh, you know, believing in myself and like... Just allowing myself to know that I don't have to apologize for taking up space. Totally. You know, I think that's like a big thing. And and I find that with a lot of females in particular, 
that if they like bump into someone, they say big time. They're like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Big time. I'm sorry. Yep. I'm sorry. I'm yep. like, don't don't apologize for taking up space in a room. Yeah. Or doing something like that. Yep. I couldn't agree more with that. You're one of like the most hardest hardworking people I know. And you're very dedicated to your craft. And I just think it's really admirable. Like, you know, you have such a powerlifting background too. And you don't weigh a lot. But you move a lot of weight. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you weigh? Like, 130? Uh, so when I compete in powerlifting, I weigh 114. What? 114? The big 114. And what's your uh, deadlift record? Uh, I think the most I've deadlifted is 352. That's disgusting. It's pretty cool. That's more than three times your body weight. It's pretty awesome. What fuels your passion for that sport? I just love powerlifting. I love training for the fact that it's something that you can't cheat. You can't. It's it's either you hit it or you didn't hit it. And it's the, all, all the work that goes in behind the scenes. Um, there's no magic pill that you can take to get stronger. There's no um, shortcuts. Like, you have to put in the work. Um and I also like how it aids in everything else that you do. Like, for me, it does personally. Maybe not for other people. But um, when I'm training and I'm consistent, um, I tend to work harder. I have better conversations. I feel really good about myself. I'm more energized. Um, and I just, like, people see that and they get inspired and they want to, like, do something like that. Whether it's powerlifting or some other, like, venue that they want. Uh I love it. Yeah, definitely. I think it's what really separates you. And it's like when you finish your uh, undergrad, like you were the first woman to ever be hired at a strength facility, at um, a strength and conditioning facility. Um, Yeah, yeah, CSP. Yeah, CSP. So at Cressy Sports Performance, which is in the Boston area. And I think that was wild. And I know that like Cortland wrote like an article about you too, right? Mm Mm-hmm talking about how like look at the success that you found like you prevailed the all these archetypes that like I feel like people wouldn't have necessarily expected it looking at you and meanwhile you're like not only are you really book smart but you know how to apply it and you're very intuitive too you feel that way yeah I feel like I like when it comes to learning something um, I may not know it when I first like see it or understand it, but it really just, all it takes is me asking the right questions and then applying it. And I'm not afraid to ask questions if I don't understand something or even act like I understand something. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, people want to share and people want to like help you. And teach. And teach, like people love teaching and you just have to ask the questions, you know? And, and I think always asking the question, like, is there a better way to do this? Um, asking the question why? Is, is huge, and I, I did that all throughout uh, my undergrad, for sure. Like, my professors would kind of uh, be a little annoyed when I stepped into the room <laughs> asking so many questions, but it helped, and I think it also helped so many of the other kids, too, that I was with, because sometimes people are scared to ask questions because they don't want to, like... Look dumb. Look dumb or be judged, and I'm, like, the opposite. I'm yeah. Like, I'll ask away. It's like that phenomenon when they would say, like, if you ask it, I guarantee you one other person in the room had that same question. 100%. 
you know? Or it leads them to thinking a different way. Fuck yeah. That's a good, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and, like, that's where I get a lot of my inspiration or ideas from is, like, in collaborations with people. I have a hard time, uh, like, working. Not that I don't enjoy working by myself, but, like, if I'm trying to, like, think of things or build something, create something, I love sitting in a room with, you know, even, like, one other person or a group of people and just asking why or have they ever thought about this in this way and it leads to like really great conversations yeah and like bouncing ideas off each other yeah so you graduated you started at csp Mm -hmm. you were there for how long two and a half two and a half years and what kind of exposure did you have there like who did i work with or yeah whatever um so i worked with well the staff there is phenomenal you know it was a great great place um i got exposure I think the really cool thing was just working with high school baseball players, mm-hmm. um, working with um, college uh, baseball players all the way up through pro. But it was a, a good spot because, you know, you had the PT side of it. You had massage therapy. You had uh, the pitching lab. So there was always things to learn all the time. Totally. And I think that's where I got in the most reps possible of coaching yeah definitely like it was non-stop coaching um and you had people coming in with certain injuries and their programs would obviously be slightly different but it's just exposure to different people different backgrounds um and then just watching them progress over that time it was it was a cool spot do you see yourself working in the mlb 100 percent. yeah yeah 100 percent. what's like the dream the dream yeah. Uh, the dream would be, you know, working in player development as, like, you know, one of the first f- female pitching coaches mm-hmm. when it comes in that avenue. I want to find a way to definitely blend the strength and conditioning and the pitching uh, component together in a more, like, fluid manner. Um, what do you mean by that? Because they just, I find that it's it's hard to get two people, like, or even groups all like sitting in the same room who agree on something so Mm. or like just labeling things correct you know so um for example like you could talk to you get 60 pitching coaches in a room and ask them you know what is the ideal uh pitching motion or pitching mechanics synchronization whatever coordination patterns and they could be there fighting all day because they don't really know exactly what it is and each person's so unique it's a very like complicated problem um but then you get like 60 strength coaches in a room and you ask them like all right like how is that deadlift how did that deadlift look like 90 percent of them are going to agree on the same thing totally you know because it's like a deadlift is a deadlift but when it totally. comes when it comes to pitching um and different terminologies vocabulary um each pitching coach each organization could have a little different mean or philosophy on what they go with um, which is, it can be good for sure. Um, but the terms are just so different. Yeah. You know, I think like, like long toss, for example, like at what, like when does long toss become long toss? Uh, do we throw long toss on a line? Do we throw it in an arc? Um, it depends on who you talk to and the purpose, like, um, and the means that you're trying to accomplish. I feel like you need to write a book. Not, maybe not yet, but, like, I feel like it, it's coming. Like, maybe, like, 10 years into the industry or something like that. Something. 
Yeah. Yeah, we're not, right? Yeah. Have to. Because you could show, like, your, like, because I, I feel like your philosophies are so updated, too. I, thanks. That's mm-hmm. really nice. You're welcome. It's because you're a nerd. I'm a little bit. Like, all the time. Y'all, Nance would, um, read research articles before we would go out in college. I'm not even kidding. I would. What was that journal? The Strength and Conditioning Journal or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just baseball. And you would be, like, pulling up articles, and I'm like, are we going to get wasted or not? <laughs> <laughs> we will, after. Yeah, that's the alarm. They're coming to get us. You'll hear it. They're coming to get you. Whoop, <sighs> whoop, whoop, <laughs> choke. I want to know, <laughs> choke. I want to know, um, what's, like, one of the most frustrating things that you've experienced within the industry? Because I'm curious if it's, like, similar with mine. Like, I don't have a strength and conditioning background as much. Mine was more gen pop and, like, functional training or, you know, whatever people Mm want to call it today. Um, But I'm just curious if, like, there are any parallels. The most frustrating thing? Yeah, or just, like, not even frustrating, like, challenges that you feel like you um not can't get away from but like patterns of these of challenges within the industry I I feel like that's gonna be something that's like so it's gonna be definitely different person to person um so the biggest challenge that I'd face is just having to be I think adaptable to to each like new organization that you go into totally um I think I've gotten really good at it. It's like probably one of my biggest strengths is just uh, being able to read a person and feel and say the right things and be able to connect with people. I think that was like a big um, challenge. Yeah. But that's something that I feel like you just have to keep practicing and like you have to be very focused in that moment. Definitely. Um, and, and being aware of all the things that you're doing when you're around this person, uh, things that you say about people when they're not there. Cause it's like everyone knows everyone. Um, and you just want to make sure at the end of the day that like, remember like you are there to coach, to help this person. Um, yeah, I think language is like the biggest like challenge. Definitely. For sure. But it's a fun challenge. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like, I love it. Yeah. It's like a maze, kind of, or like a puzzle piece. And Mm -hmm. you just kind of, like, you figure it out as you go along. And then once you get there, you're like, fuck, yeah. Like, this is what this person needs. We finally found a groove. Now we just get in. We get it done. We get out. Like, anyway. um, So let's get into a little bit about, like, your upbringing. Where are you from? Where, Where did you grow up? Grew up in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you did. Nowhere. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you really did. Wait, before you start, I just want to share, um, when we went out last night, we, so I'm in Long Island and I'm I'm from here. We went out last night and we bumped into some of my high school pals and we were just hanging out at the bar and drinking. And one of the guys was like, like, what did you do, do up there for like, to like go out and drink? And you were like, where are we right now? And he was like a bar. And you were like, what's next door? And he was like, another bar. And you were like, and what's next to that? And he's like, another bar. And next to that, a restaurant or a bar. You were like, at my town, there's just like a bar. And then this like blew my mind away. You guys would like 
Garage hop. Garage hop. What the fuck? Which also sounds so fucking fun, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. But it was all American piss beer. You were like, all we would drink is either Bud- Budweiser's, Miller Lights, probably like Mick Ultras, like all that yeah. stuff. PBR, yeah. Um, so yeah, talk to me a little bit about where you came up. All right. Um, so I grew up in upstate New York. It was it's a small town called Glenfield. It's in the middle of nowhere. A lot of forests. Um, like my nearest, you know, neighbor was probably like a mile down the road. Um, and you know, like oh, the Walmart's twenty minutes, but if you wanted to go to the mall or something like that, like you had to drive like an hour north uh, to Utica, or you drive an hour south to Rome. Uh, school even took me like twenty five ish, thirty ish minutes to really? get to. Yeah. How many were in your graduating class? Sixty two. Okay. So pretty small everyone knows everyone um but it was fun like I was never inside uh my sister and I would always be outside riding four-wheelers dirt bikes building stuff uh skeet shooting fishing fighting (laughs) (laughs) for sure um yeah it was we grew up in a, like, in a trailer park. So it was, uh, we were, like, really, like, happy kids mm-hmm. with, like, nothing. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience in the trailer park? Like, what did your room look like? What did the park feel like? Et cetera. Yeah, so it was this road, it was Higby Road. I'll never forget it. Higby Road. Uh, there was, like, it was one road, like, eight trailers. I remember like uh, going, getting ready for school. All the kids would like come out, and we would all like meet at the bottom of this road because that's where the bus would go pick us up. Um, but my room, you'd walk in, and like the kitchen and living room were like combined, kind of into one. And then there was, you know, a small hallway you'd go down, and there was my sister and um, like our room, and we would share a, a bunk bed, mm-hmm. and. It was like, it fit a bed and like a a dresser. And then there was my parents' room and the bathroom. That's it. Trailers, like 24 uh, feet. Um, You know, sorry, 27. And yeah, that's, that's what it was. So it was a very small, like, trailer. Yeah. And you have a brother. Mm hmm. You have a sister, or brother, yeah. any more? Nope. It's three of you. Yeah. Or yeah, there's four of us total. Okay. There's someone younger than your brother. Yeah, Amy. Who's how old? She's fourteen now. Okay, sweet. And they're still there, right? They're still there. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, it is wild. I have a personal question, and feel free to refrain from it. Was there always like food on the table, or was food an issue too? Uh. It was, so, it depends. Um, yeah, so we didn't, like, have it all the time. Like, it wasn't, like, I'm, I'm hungry, like, I'm going to get a snack. Like, you didn't get a snack. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> it was, like, a, so, I grew up in, like, a big hunting, like, family. Okay. So, really, there was, if it was hunting season, like, we had a lot of venison, because we would go out there. Totally. Um... And, you know, like, odds and ends, like, there'd be, 
Like, we made so many bologna sandwiches. Yeah. Like, bologna, like, mayo, American cheese, Sammy, like, that would be... The one. The one. We would, like, we had a lot of... We'd make a lot of eggs. Um, but sometimes, we just... You'd be hungry. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's how it was. Or, like, I mean, I'm super thankful for growing up and having really good friends. And, like, Rachel and I would... We would go over to our friend's place and, like, their families would feed us. Like, at the time, we had no idea, like, what was going on. Isn't that wild? Like, we had no clue. It's so fucking wild. But they knew where we grew up. Yeah. And, like, the situation. And they they were amazing. Like, they always took care of us. How old were you when you realized, like, oh, like, I come from an underprivileged background? Because I had that awakening, yeah. too. And it, it's it was a little harsh for me to process. I don't know if you identify with that at all. It was, I don't, I can't like time stamp a, a specific time or day. It just like kind of started opening up, you know, when I was probably like a junior in high school. Just like little things. Because you saw the way other kids were living? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? Like you'd see the way that they're living and like, um, like Christmas is a big one. Like, mm. That's big. Like, fucking massive. What was Christmas <laughs> like for you? Christmas was just like another day. Like we didn't get like hundreds of like Christmas presents or anything like that. It was just like we'd get presents here and there. Um, and then by the time we were like fifteen, it was just like n- nothing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just like, you're done, um, and go from there, but it was just, it's so different, and then you go to school, and all the kids are just like, oh, like, new shoes, new, um, jackets, new Tamagotchis, new, like, whatever it was. Yeah, and it's like, that's so, it's really great, and, uh, you know, it would just, uh, it was just irritating, because I, you know, you'd hear some kids complaining, like, oh, like, I didn't get, like, this, or this, you know? Um, which always just kind of, like, rubbed me the wrong way. Totally. Because I'm just like, if only, like, you knew. I felt the same way, dude. Uh, yeah. So it's just, that's just how Rachel and I, like, grew up. Um, and it's, it was just something that was so different. And I think that was, like, one of the moments when you talk about, like, realizing that we were, like, underprivileged. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And also, like, you know, food stamps, wick. Yes. You know, like yeah. having to go Had to the store. In high school, yeah. Having to go to the store and like buying like specific things that were like on that card. Yeah. Like you could only get you can't, a certain amount of like milk or eggs. And you can't get food that is like pre cooked. So, for example, yeah. if you want a rotisserie chicken, you can't buy it Mm-mm. because it's already cooked. So that was weird. Yeah. I actually liked food stamps though. Because I didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, super helpful. I, I was, like, obviously young when we were using them. I was, like, in high school and, I, you know, I was still in school, like, in public school. Like, it was before college and it just felt so relieving for me. I would be like, oh, my God, like, I get this card, like, you know. And I didn't care that I couldn't buy a fucking, like, rotisserie chicken. I would just buy, like, Greek yogurt or, like, eggs, milk, like, stuff like that. But anyways... Yes, I identify with the Christmas thing. So, like, my family's Muslim, so it's not like we even had, like, Christmas in general. But I have to tell you, when I would get back to school and I would see these kids with all these things, 
because we didn't celebrate Christmas, I never had like a, I just knew it was, that's not for me. Like I, it was never like, oh, I wish. I never felt that. If we celebrated, I totally would have. But what I want to say is I felt so, I feel now so thankful that like I didn't get all that stuff. I don't know why. Because Christmas is only one time a year. It's, you know, it's only one time a year. It's only in the winter. You only get, you get all that stuff, but like all in a day. But for some reason, I feel like me not getting it, maybe it's something I have to unpack in therapy, but was like a really big, not even a fuel or a propeller for me to be successful, but just like kept me humble and like patient and like now that I'm thinking it's all come in my head, like instant gratification was like not as much of a thing for me because like spoiled, the word is spoiled for a reason. I would go to like my friend's house and I would see like their parents stack their gifts mm. from the floor to the ceiling sometimes. And I just remember I would look and I would be like, something looks so twisted to me about that picture, you know? It was, yeah, I, I like how you said the word, like, patience. Yeah. I think that was big. And we would always find something else to do, you know, like, we would always make the most of it. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was Christmas. Yeah. You know? Totally. So. So you don't live there anymore, obviously. No. You left... How old were you when you left? 16. Where did you live when you were 16? So I went ahead and I left. um, And then I went right into uh, EOP the summer. Wait, seriously? Well, yeah, because it was educational opportunity program. I didn't know they took kids in. And so... Well, I didn't leave there until I was like, well, I was going into my Wait, freshman year. Wait, EOP was in Cortland? Cortland. So you started your freshman year of college at 16? 17. So I started 17. 16, I like didn't live home. I really like lived in my godfather's place. In New Jersey? Um, so I lived in my godfather for like one summer. And okay. then when I come back, like I, he has like another house. Upstate? Upstate. Okay. And I would live there. Okay. Just you, not Rachel? Uh, Rachel would stay with me. Okay. Like here and there, but... I just, like, we did not want to be home because it was just, like, a really bad, you know, spot to be. And then, uh, yeah, 17, like, how I got into college was a crazy story because... Let's hear um, it. (laughs) (laughs) So, high school, like, I didn't really get great grades at all because um, I just had to help my parents pay for things. So, I had to get a job. I, like, would waitress. I did dishes um, all these odd tasks, and so I really didn't have time to study. I'd go to school, I'd play sports, and then after sports, I would go work from, you know, from 8 until, like, 12 or 1 in the morning, get up, and, like, repeat that, and I just, I didn't have time, you know, so totally getting the grades to go to school was, like, I was, like, right on the line, And, and, uh, EOP was a really cool program that was brought to light by my guidance counselor. And uh, she's like, I really think you should look into this. It's going to be something that's I think you would excel in. I think it's a healing program too, EOP. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. 
uh, so educational opportunity program. It was for like kids who come from like, you know, um, low economic backgrounds or have had something in their life that um, has prevented, not prevented, but like has like a setback, a setback or an obstacle that they've had to like overcome that didn't give them the same advantage of like other kids. And so um, I get to EOP and I'm like the only white person. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm the only white person. <laughs> I'm like looking around. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so it was an awesome program. So you had to, there, I think there was like, you know, 12 tests and you had to like study by yourself. Like, How you, many kids were there? Oh, I want to say there was like 40 or 50 of Okay, us. so it's a good group. It's a good group of, yeah. of And they're people. all from around the area that you're from? No. They're from all, all over upstate? No. Where are they from? The, the city. Oh, really? So it's a program that like anyone can apply to like if they want to go. Well, we had EOP here too, but and we had, it's funny because like, I wasn't in EOP. I was in another program. Yeah. I didn't have to do EOP because I was so traumatized by my parents that I poured it into school. So my grades were high. But the program that I did was also like first generation, low socioeconomic, like immigrant parent. And we were with the EOP kids. But we weren't technically EOP. I forgot what mine was called. And that was here on Long Island. And we had kids from the city too and Long Island. So I thought that, you know, you're pretty high up there. So... That's wild that inner city kids were up there too. That's awesome. It was awesome. That's fucking dope. They, uh, like, well, working there and uh, studying and all that was was great. And basically you had to pass all these courses. And if you passed them with a certain percentage, you moved on to, like, the next week. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't pass it, you had to stay behind. And then the, that week you'd have to take test one and test two. So it was hard. Like, you... You had to learn on your own a lot of times. Totally. Um, but they just wanted to see, like, if this person was put in the ideal conditions, can they succeed? Like, okay. You know? I love that. And, yeah, we dominated. But it was so cool. Like, some of those people are still some of, like, my closest friends today. Um, and you had to, like, live with all of them, obviously, in a dorm. So you got to know their stories yeah. and where they came from. Yeah. And you just, like, connected with... Like, everyone connected with each other so, so deeply because we were all going through something very similar. Um, and we ended up being, like, a really, like, close family. It's magic. And people still, like, will reach out here and there just to check in, like, how we're doing. And um, even through, you know, after EOP, like, actually going to school, um, you would still see, like, groups of uh, those people in EOP, like, hanging out um at lunch or going out together a lot of them went to Cortland oh yeah so all of them went to Cortland okay sweet so you know what I have a regret of in my of my undergrad is not counseling for EOP my when I was an RA my RHD was like you should really look into EOP I think you'd make a great counselor because she also knew I'm a minority as well like on top of all all the things and I didn't have time because I was an RA. I had a musical theater minor on top of... I didn't have time, but I will tell you it's a regret I have because EOP is fucking magic. And the reason why it's magic is because you get to see young kids, like your prime example, who are pushed 
I don't want to say pushed. I want to say you really see how strong a human can be. I feel like when you see someone come up out of EOP because they turned the, they transmuted their pain into power. They were like, okay, I did not have the head start and I had a massive step back, multiple step backs on top of that. But I'm still here. I worked hard and I came up from it. And now I feel like you're even stronger relative to the other kids. Yeah, I think it's it's resilience. It's resilience. That's exactly what it is. And it's just like, it it makes me emotional, man, because I just, it's so, it's so beautiful. You know what I mean? It's gorgeous. It's, yeah, it's like a lotus flower. It's a lotus flower. Yeah, like you see what can come up out of mud. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, God, it's the best. And we had a, some, I remember EOP people, like, working in res life and stuff. Like, yeah. totally, like, my coworkers. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just wanted to share that. It's totally a regret that I have. You could always go back. I could, yeah. I would love to work with EOP kids. The best. Like, I just feel like it's so aligned with, like, my purpose and stuff like that. And, and your personality. Like, they're uh, so funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they just, like, make make me laugh all the time. Yeah, totally. And it's a, it was a huge, like, culture change, you know? So, like, going from, like... Tell, ups- me, tell me more about that, because up- it's real. <laughs> <laughs> going, just going from upstate New York, where it's, like, you know, people are wearing, like, shit kickers and flannels and, you know, the way that they're talking... Yeah. And the things that they talk about yeah, are totally. so different. And then uh, I get introduced to EOP. Just like the clothing is so different. Um, the parties, the music, mm. um, the the slang. Uh, everything is so different, but it was so fun. It's, and so, it was it's a, family. It was a, really cool to be like immersed in that. Yeah. Uh, and just to get out of like a bubble. I feel like that's a big thing. It's just like... Something that's different, people are scared of, of like trying, or they feel like they don't fit in. But like massive. That that whole crew at EOP, like there was no, there was no one being like ostracized. It was everyone was in it. And yeah. if you if you don't understand something or you want to learn more about it, like I'm, I'm a horrible dancer, right? Okay, you're not Hor- that bad. I mean, I'm kind. Okay, you're right. Yeah, I'm not that bad. I got you. Go for it. I just go for it. Yeah. So. <laughs> I specifically remember them, like, you know, putting some, putting on a, like, bachata, and, uh, like, I'm, like, looking down the college hallway, right, in our dorm, like, there's 40 kids in the hallway dancing. Wait, what dorm were you in? Um. DeGroat? DeGroat, yeah. Get the fuck out. DeGroat. Dude, DeGroat is so special. That's a first, that is the first dorm that I RA'd in, and that's where I met Kate. So I left there with, like, a really good pal. There is some magic juju in DeGroat. I love DeGroat. It's great. But it would be fun things like that. Just like different games or like food. Oh, food. So good. Like? Um, just empanadas. Oh, plantains. Mm-hmm. We had some last night. We did. You said something last night that I was like, whoa. You were like, I think we were kind of talking about like being like the cycle breaker within like your family, like to, to leave mm-hmm. that bubble. Mm-hmm. And you were like, you know, ah, it's like, I think the sentence was kind of something like, what, I wonder why there are still people there milking cows and like, it was something along those lines. Oh, right, right, right. I remember this. 
Yeah, well, just because sometimes, like, looking uh, looking back now, it's, like, um, a lot of kids who grew up in a very similar situation to mine have not changed. And so... Yes. At um, all. Yes, that's what we talked about. Um, and it's, like, a lot of times as a child, you're going to... Or even as an adult, like, you mirror what you see all the time without it in you knowing that. So, um, like, my dad is not a great human. Like, um, he's he's, got, he's a severe, like, alcoholic. He's been in prison multiple times. Yep. You know, my mom's been to jail. Yep. Uh, she's, she's kind of just, she just follows my dad. Like, she doesn't really have a voice or anything like that. Um, and... So, like, my biggest thing is, like, a lot of people who, like, I talk to, like, it's it's crazy, like, you are where you are because a lot of people in that situation who, like, grew up in, like, an abusive, like, household, you know, would probably, like, succumb to that and actually, like, become that, you know? And I see it. Like, there are people who I look back and, like, it's, it's their parents, you know, or that same thing or... Which, would, what is wild, too, is I know some people who were given everything. Yeah. And have, like, fallen down to that. As well, You know, yeah. where it's like they had a whole plate set up for them, and all they had to do was just deliver and just take that, and they didn't, you know. And I don't know, I can't even tell you or explain to you why that is, but... It's got to be a multitude of things. Like, I'm sure genetics does have something to play in play with that. Yeah. Um, mental health issues, um, your perception, the way you were treated behind closed doors. Like, we can never know what really happened in those kids' lives. And it's funny because it's like, the reason why you, you or I can never truly know ever is, is the only way we would is if we were by their side constantly because there's too many things that go on. For example, let's say you were in a relationship and it looked great from the outside. And let's say I, I was friends with you and that person and I hung out with you and that person. And every time I hung out with you two, it was grand. There's still so much that happened between you that I couldn't know. I'm not there when you lay your head on the pillow at night. I'm not there when you wake up and you go shower and, you know, all that stuff. So it's like... I don't know why either. I really don't. And I feel like some people are born with like a fighter spirit. You have that. Like you have a fighter spirit. Thank you. You're welcome. And like, I think, thank you. And I think that that is also like emotional intelligence. For example, I don't know if this is really like emotional intelligence or just like being able to, or like a practical mind. When I was younger and shit hit the fan with my family yeah I just knew I don't know if it was from my mom drilling it in my head or from tv that like school could be an out school could be out of the socioeconomic status school can be an out of um this cycle in my family school can be an out of like being at such a disadvantage so when they split I was in sixth grade and like clearly the divorce was traumatizing I remember after they split and we moved into the basement that we lived in that year, me, my mom, and my sister, um, when my alarm would go off that year, 
up out of bed into like I remember in elementary school my mom would have to drag me she'd come to my bed and like sing to me and I'd be like fuck off like there was just no sense of urgency that I had and then after that I was it was like a drill sergeant every day up out of bed I would find any sport that I can do any club that I can do I would say after for tutorials if I got a B plus I would try to bump it to an A minus if I got an A minus I try to bump it to a. it was just this constant like trying to work really really hard and I have some other pals who didn't give a fuck about school and then they graduated high school and the disadvantages those setbacks those obstacles caught up with them and they were like fuck man I think I should go back to school which is not great like do that but what I mean is like for some reason I saw from a young age that school could get me out and I was able to work on that and what changed my life was going to Cortland because I stayed home for college that first year. I was working at, my GPA was a 2.96, which is wild. Or it was a 2.69. It was so low. It's because I was serving full time. I was like so depressed because all my friends went away to school. I went to SUNY Farmingdale, which is like 20 minutes from here. And Cortland was one of the only schools that I got into. I didn't really apply to a crazy amount because I knew we couldn't like afford much. Mm-hmm. And then that sophomore year, I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, I don't care if my mom wants me to stay. She asked me to stay. That's why I stayed. Terrible decision. Um, The depression got like so crippling. I couldn't keep my head up in class. I thought I had an autoimmune disease. So I was getting like blood work done. I was like, I can't keep my head up in class. Looking back, it was just crippling depression. Um, And then when I went away to Cortland, I met so many people from upstate I had that culture shock of like holy shit it's another world and then I had all the people from the city and then some people from California for whatever reason like went to school in upstate New York and it gave me so much exposure and then I got to go to therapy because Cortland offers free therapy for Mm -hmm. students so school school saved me hands down and I know school's not the route for everyone but it can be very, very helpful, I think, to break out of a low, low socioeconomic status, like massive. 100%. You agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even um, just like financially. So uh, growing up, like I've had to pay for my car insurance like the day I got my car. Like I've had to pay for... How old were you? 16. You know, um, and like pay for rent, car insurance, like my like school... Like, my parents haven't paid for anything because they really can't, you know? But it taught me to be, like, resilient and I'm always, like, finding a way. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter what, which is huge. But, you know... No, which is the biggest thing. <laughs> the biggest it's thing. It's the biggest thing. Because I see folks who will be like, oh, there's no way. I'm like, you just gotta be creative. And I'm like, what? You can just connect this and this and make a way. And I was talking about that, like, on my Instagram story, the, uh, like, a couple weeks ago. I was like... Just because someone hasn't found a way does not mean you can't. And if you come from a lower income background, chances are you had to be very creative growing up. So you're even at a more bigger advantage to find a way and make a way. Oh, 100%. And there's there's so many um, just grants and applications and things and financial aid, obviously, that can help you, especially if you come from a poor economic background or a situation you know, that has uh, put you at a disadvantage. 
um, and even just like you know being an immigrant and all those different things. But you th- you can always find a way, and even in school, like um, I found an outlet just like through poetry and just like entering random poetry contests for fifty dollars here or hundred dollars here. You know, in the grand scheme of things, like a lot of kids, I think would like look at that and be like, oh, it's only fifty bucks, but like still. It's food for a week. Yeah. Yeah. And so just finding little ways like that. Um, And in college, too, I was like, work study. Mm. Um, You work studied at the library. It was the best. Yeah. I was a research nerd. Mm -hmm. So I just helped other people find research on Mm -hmm. uh, whatever areas. Really cool spot. Loved it. Um, But, yeah, I think growing up the way I did, you know, people would be like, some people would, like, look at it and just be like, oh, like, that's horrible and all that stuff. But I really think it it turned me into who I am. Like, I looked, I viewed my situation, and it just showed me everything in life, what not to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, well, I'm not doing that because that leads to this. And I'm not doing that because definitely don't want to look like that or feel like that mm-hmm. or treat people like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, like, one of the biggest things was just, like, friends, like, and being lonely. Mm, like, big time. looking at my parents, I'm just, like... How do you live like this? Yeah, like, they're just lonely, and their ability to, like, think for themselves um, and just treat people right. Um, because we were talking about this at, like, dinner, just, like, there's evil in the world, you know, but then there's also really, really like good people, you know, and sometimes if you're immersed in an environment when there's just like evil and bad, that's kind of how you portray and you think everyone is, but it's like, as soon as you get out of that bubble, um, you realize like how great, like the majority of humans are yeah, and how amazing they are. Yeah. And I think that's where college is too. Like big time. There's so many teachers and amazing people that just even if they step into your life for a fraction of a second maybe like you only know you only like knew this person for three or four months because they were in a specific class but like you bonded and you had a great time and like they taught you something or they showed you an experience that like will stick with you forever and uh what is that line like oh like plant trees you'll never see i think that's like one like one of my favorite quotes ever is because no matter who you come in contact with, like, you never know, like, the way you say something or even, like, the way you look at something or if you help them with something and that's all you do, like, maybe they remember that. Totally. And then you'll meet them in life. Like, it'll cycle back around and you'll see them randomly in a grocery store. Totally. Or walking down the street. And the first image that pops up is an image of, like, you helping them. And then one day they're in a position that's, like, higher up or, like, you need them. And they go out of their way to help you because you help them on that seriously, yeah, it's like, a, it's meaningful like, thing. It's like karma. Yeah. And, like, I've been thinking about karma in a very simple sense like this. If I clean my room now, I'll have a clean room later. If I set the coffee maker up the night before, it'll be ready by the morning. If I don't set it up the night before, it's, it's not ready in the morning. I've kind of been thinking about karma like that. Like, or, like, if I spilled something and I didn't clean it, I'll probably slip on it later, and that's my karma. I, did, I did, didn't clean it up. Um, so I feel like, you know, that karmic energy is definitely something of value to consider as well. And it's just, like, 
I don't know if you watched uh, Avatar, but I fucking mm-hmm. love it. And Uncle Iroh was like, sometimes the great, the best solution to your problems is actually helping someone else with theirs. And that doesn't mean put yourself on the back burner, but it's like stronger together, you know? You value your chosen family like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Me too. 100%. It's like my blood. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm very thankful, like, for my godfather and, like, my, like, close, like, my family. Yeah. Like, there are certain friends who I have whose, like, parents have always taken care of me. Even if I don't speak to them in, like, a long, like, a long time, I could go see them and they would bring me in, like, family. Yeah. And I think, too, like, my best friends, like, you and, you know, the people who are, like, really close to me. We don't have to talk every day, mm-hmm. but then like when we meet up, it's that's what it's it like, is. It's like we haven't been away from each Dude, other in a I long know. time, and I feel like that's what it is with like soul family and chosen soul tribe and like your crew. It's like we don't have to see each other often, but when we do, it's like this crazy connection where we pick up as if we. You know what I mean? Because it's crazy to think I've known you for five years. It doesn't feel like that to me still. So. Five is a whole hand. It's a whole hand. It's a whole ass hand. Like you were 22 and now you're 27. Mm-hmm. Just crazy to me. Anyways, um, I want to know, like, what advice do you have for any kids out there who come up from where you came up from, who are in it? Mm. Dream big. Yeah. Very cliche, but like you have to choose to want something better Mm -hmm. like you have to consciously consciously choose something and then consciously like put effort into each day to get yourself to that next stair that next step it's really just you need to dream big and trust yourself and your intuition um and when you run into people who, who doubt you, let them think what they want to think. Totally. You know? Yeah. I'm just like, okay, I'll be waving to you from up there. Just give me time. And it's like you, that's another thing is like, as a young kid, or even like now, like you, you have so much time, so much time uh, to make mistakes, to learn from them. You have so much time to go out and just, like, speak to people, gather knowledge, apply it, um, and just just go from there. But, um, yeah, I think one exercise that, like, my therapist had that I think was something so cool was she made me write a letter to, like, a little Nance. And I had to give her advice on, you know, what to do in a certain situation. And, um... I remember exactly just saying, like, um, if you don't like an environment that you're in for some odd reason, it's like, leave, 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 you know, then get out of there. Like, the more you submerge yourself in an environment that doesn't support you and makes you feel horrible or anxious or not worth, like, you're only doing yourself harm. And sometimes you have to go into the darkness because you have no other option. Yeah. But... You just have to be resilient, understand that like tomorrow will come and you'll have an opportunity to do your thing. And I think that's so important and explore different 
avenues, play different sports, talk to people who don't look like you, um, and go from there. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck I yeah. love that. Um, where can we find you? So, you can find me. Um, well, you can email me. I think that's like probably something that's super easy. I'm on the gram too, here and there. Nancy underscore Newell. Can you spell Newell? Yep. Does everyone have their paper? <laughs> uh, Newell, N-E-W-E-L-L. Okay, sweet. And your email? Same thing, nancynewell02 at gmail.com. Sweet. Shoot me up. Um, just let me know what's up. If you have any questions, you want to meet up for a coffee, love coffee. You do. I do. You really like it. It's the best. You drink it black. It's disgusting. It's the only way. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for your vulnerability. Those were uncomfortable topics, and I think the more we talk about these things openly, the more healing that we can share with the world. So thank you for contributing to that mechanism. Mm, Thank you for having me on board and asking some uh, really great questions. Um, I love this. I love you. You see this tear? Say it back. I love you. (laughs) And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out our website, humanexperiencepodcast.com. Heads up, the A in human is an X. If you would like to connect with me directly, you can email me, humanexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. Again, the A in human is an X. Feel free to share any thoughts, comments, or if you would like to be on the show, I would love to hear from you. Until next time, folks.